Our scripture lesson for today comes from Ephesians, and it's chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So please hear the word of the Lord. So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place, in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I was joking with the worship team this morning, and I told them that the only thing I have plans to deliver this morning is this sermon. <laughs> So that's why I'm sitting down again this week to preach today. I am very pregnant and I love to get to bring the good news and the word, but I also get easily winded. So I'm sitting down so that hopefully you can understand me a little bit better. Um, so in our passage for today, there is a lot going on, isn't there? There's a lengthy passage. There's name calling. There's separation, hostility we hear about between different groups there in Ephesus. But the passage says that Jesus breaks down that dividing wall of hostility and separation. Jesus gives them, gives us, a common identity instead as citizens of the kingdom with a common purpose to serve God and God's kingdom. So today, we're going to look at what it means to be united as citizens with a common purpose through Jesus Christ. We are united and called to build together a place for God to dwell in and through us. That's what the passage is talking about. That's our job as citizens. That's why we're gathered here today, to create a space for God to dwell with us and through us. Verse 21 and 22, verses 21 and 22 say, In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Now, I've shared this story before, but I think it's worth sharing again because it connects with our passage today. Um, So in seminary, I went to a forum one day that was co-sponsored by the Methodist and Baptist House of Studies. And during the forum, the Methodist pastor, uh, professor, sorry, was asked to defend and explain adult baptism by full immersion. And the Baptist professor was asked to defend and explain infant baptism by sprinkling. Yes, you heard me right. They were speaking on behalf of the other's theological traditions, and it was so much fun to get to listen to them share. It was a beautiful thing. I remember quite vividly the Baptist professor opening up the discussion with a joke about baptism. It went something like this. A Baptist pastor and a Methodist pastor are discussing what is necessary for a baptism to be considered valid. The Methodists ask, so if you baptize someone up to the knees, is it valid? The Baptist replies, you know, no, of course. The Methodist says, well, what about up to the waist? Again, the Baptist says, no, not good enough. The Methodist says, okay, what if the water comes all the way up to his neck? Nope, not going to cut it, the Baptist says. The Methodist pastor asks, what if the water comes all the way up to his forehead? The Baptist pastor again replies, no. The Methodist says, okay. What if the water goes on top of his head? The Baptist says, yes, that's a valid baptism. To which the Methodist replies, that's what I've been trying to tell you. It's only the top of the head that matters. The Baptist professor went on to point out the ways in which the baptism of an infant makes such a powerful statement about the grace of God, because there's nothing that baby did to earn God's grace and God's love. It makes a statement that that grace is a gift given to that child. Then it was the Methodist professor's turn, and he talked about how baptism by full immersion is this really powerful illustration of Jesus' death and resurrection and shows that we enter into that journey in that story as well. It illustrates our dying to sin as we're submerged under the water. If the preacher leaves you down there too long, that image becomes really real as you're surrounded by the waters of chaos and death. And then you're lifted back up and it is this powerful image of being raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It was such a beautiful thing to hear them lifting up, appreciating each other's traditions and what each of those brought to our faith and identity as Christians. It's a fun model to consider, isn't it? Kind of like the one often used in debate class. But I wonder why we don't do a little more of that in the church. Why don't we try to understand and even articulate the perspective of people who maybe think a little bit differently than we do? Ironically, So often conversations about baptism lead to division in the church, but baptism at its very core is about unity, is about drawing us together. To use the language in our passage for today, baptism is how we become citizens of the kingdom of God. 
Verse 19 says, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. To be a citizen of a country, how does that happen? You're born in the country, right? To be citizens of the kingdom of God, we are born again through the waters of baptism. As citizens, we're called to build upon the foundation that was laid for us. I'm going to read that verse one more time. It says, we are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This past week, we had the honor and privilege to celebrate the life of one of those saints and citizens upon whom the foundation of this church was built. Her name was Helen Giese. Many of you will know her and remember her fondly. Her funeral was Friday, and with her death came the end of an era, but not the end of the impact of her work. Helen helped to start MACOA and the Meals on Wheels program here in Montgomery, and she was the first executive director of it. Even now, as she has moved to the church triumphant, that work that she began continues to feed our most vulnerable elderly in the Montgomery area. Until this past week, Mrs. Giese was the last living member from when, Court Street United, from when we were Court Street United Methodist Church. We are members of the household of God built upon the foundation that she and others laid for us. Jay so aptly put it in his Tower Chimes article this week, he encouraged us to consider for a moment that Helen, born in 1923, experienced this massive undertaking of planting a church in the heart of Old Cloverdale months before the Great Depression. Can you believe that, that this vision was cast for the space for people to gather just before the Great Depression? Helen and other original Court Street members recalled worshiping at Huntington College while our sanctuary was being built. She also reminisced occasionally about worshiping in our current sanctuary when the floors were dirt, the windows were open, and everybody sat on benches. It's kind of neat to imagine that. Decades later, Helen witnessed the most extensive renovation project in our history, and just last Sunday, she was able to see the grandeur of our new organ casework once the scaffolding was removed. Her life was bookended by advancements to our campus, all of which are investments for future generations of God's people called Methodist in Montgomery, Alabama, Jay shared. Uh, Reverend Ben McDavid, when sharing about her life at the funeral, shared about how she and her husband Jim were leaders for our youth program when Ben was in the youth group. That's pretty fun, isn't it? They poured into this church not because it was easy or convenient or because they agreed with absolutely everyone in it all the time, but because Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, had drawn them together. When the kids were young, Jim sang in the choir, Helen sat with the kids, and they always sat where he could keep an eye on them and make sure they were paying attention in worship. When the kids got a little bit older, Helen and Jim both sang in the choir, and the kids still sat in lines eye view so they could make sure that they were paying attention in worship. And on Sunday nights, 
Jim kept the kids, while Helen helped with the youth program. Having children now myself and one more on the way, I know that this would not have been an easy commitment for Helen and Jim to make to serve in those ways, but they made them anyway. They made that commitment because it was part of what it meant to serve as baptized citizens in God's kingdom. And how beautiful that the foundations that they laid were helping, they gave us and poured into the leadership of Reverend Ben McDavid, who we're so thankful for today, and who was one of the pastors at Helen's funeral. So neat to see that come full circle. It's amazing how God uses those building blocks that we lay down often in ways we don't even expect. For example, I was just talking to Jenny Cohn a few days ago. She's a church member here, and she was sharing with me that she was so excited, her daughter was so excited to be going on Camp Lee, the Camp Lee trip I mentioned this morning. Um, it's always a great time of discipleship and fun and growth for those kids. And her daughter, Millie, was really excited to be going. And Jenny said, you know, Bailey Blake is on the trip as one of the college leaders for Millie this weekend. And she said, several years ago, I was her small group leader when she first started out in the youth group. Now Bailey is a college counselor on the trip and she's pouring into my daughter, Millie. Back then, Jenny was stepping out of her comfort zone a little to lead that small group. But how amazing that the foundation she laid for Bailey, and she had no idea this would come to pass, has now provided a foundation for her own daughter, Millie. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and we are called to do the same, to continue building, to continue growing for God's work and God's kingdom, to build upon the work that has been laid for us. Ephesians says that we are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The whole structure is joined together. Have you ever noticed most groups are defined by who is left out, who is not included, who isn't athletic enough, it's softball, smart enough for the Ivy, Ivy League, wealthy enough to pay the membership fee, socially adept enough to get the invite? And in baptism... Despite our differences and even celebrating those differences, we're brought together as citizens of the kingdom of God. Not because we are smart enough, kind enough, good enough, athletic enough, wealthy enough, but because Jesus is enough. Because his love for us is enough to unite us in our similarities and our differences as we continue to build upon the foundation he has laid, as we continue that common goal and that common work he has set before us. Bishop Willimon, Willimon always likes to push us in our thinking. When teasing out this idea of unity, he said, so if you say that your church is unified, then you probably haven't done a very good job of evangelism. All you've done is collect people with politics in common, and what you need is people who have God in common. And another time, on the same topic, he said, in church you say, hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and we're both related to a savior that saves sinners. So, 
That means my position could be wrong. It could be tainted with my own sin, but yours could be too, he says. So now, let's have an argument. Let's be as passionate as we want, and when we're done, we're going to go to the Lord's table together, and we're going to work in the Lord's food pantry together. Jesus is the cornerstone, connecting us all together for the work of the kingdom. And it's actually a helpful thing that we have different gifts and perspectives. Because if they were all the same, we wouldn't accomplish nearly as much. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish so much more when we join together and bring our different gifts together. But when you work with somebody that has different gifts and ways of seeing things as you, let's, let's not pretend that's always going to be easy, right? We can easily get on each other's nerves. We can, we can and will disagree with each other on some things. That's obviously what seems to be going on here in the letter to the Ephesians as there's fighting and hostility among them. But we still have a common purpose and mission as citizens united by God's grace. I think this story from Pastor Timothy Boggess captures well this idea that in baptism, we're united as citizens with a common goal, even when that can sometimes be hard. So he tells this story. It's the story of a mother who was at home with her two young daughters one lazy afternoon, and everything seemed to be just fine until the mother noticed something strange. The house was quiet. And as every parent knows, a quiet house in the daytime can only mean one thing. Yep, the kids are up to no good. So quietly walking into each of the girls' rooms and not finding them there, she began to get a little worried. Then she heard it, the sound of whispering, followed by the flushing of a toilet. Following the sound, she soon realized where it was coming from. It was coming from her bathroom. Whispers flush, whispers flush, whispers flush. So poking her head into the room, she was able to see both of her daughters standing over the commode. Whispers flush. One of them was holding a dripping Barbie doll by the ankles and the other one had her finger on the handle, whispers flush. Wanting to hear what her daughter was saying, she slipped quietly into the room. And this is what she heard. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and in the hole you go, flush. <laughs> Sometimes, instead of feeling like we are baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, it feels like we are baptized and in the hole or down the hole we go. We've got this community of faith that we're a part of, and it's beautiful, but it's not easy to be baptized into this common call as citizens of God's kingdom. But this is what I want to leave you with, the good news that Ephesians shares. Jesus is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. O oh Lord, hear our prayer. May Jesus be our peace and send us out as citizens united and ready for service. Amen. Amen.